Welcome to this Niche AudioCast. My name is Will Patch. I'm the Senior Enrollment Insights Leader here at Niche. Today you're going to hear a webinar that's been converted to a podcast so you can listen on the go. You can find all the resources that are mentioned as well as the original recording on the Enrollment Insights blog, which you can find at niche.bz insights. Enjoy. We will get started in just a little bit. I'm just getting back from AMA Higher Ed in Chicago. Uh, I don't know if anyone else was in there. Feel free to chat that in and uh, say hi if you were. Uh, we'll be using the Zoom questions for Q&A, Zoom chat, if you want to chat with each other or uh, just pop in there as well. Yeah, well, we well, we let people roll in. Uh, we'll, we'll give a little pup date. Uh, this summer, we adopted a what we believe to be a... Uh, uh, Labradoodle. Uh, we don't know he was a stray, but uh, luckily he's he is doing extremely well, growing well. Uh, he, of course, three minutes before the webinar, decided to let me know he wanted to go outside. So timing's always perfect there. All right, just a quick overview. We got six big things I want to cover here, but you're probably wondering what is this survey? Uh, this is our fourth annual survey of the senior search as it's happening. We wanna know what's that process like for them. You know, application season's ramping up, visits are ramping up. What's it like for students right now? How can we benchmark against prior years and understand what is changing, what's kind of holding steady, and, and where can we better serve students? Uh, this year was open from uh, September 21st, uh, August 21st through September 24th. Uh, so that way we could get things just as things are ramping up, school starting, all that. Uh, we had over 24,000 responses. Uh, once again, I'm always happy to see that it is a very representative sample. Looks a lot like U.S. college-going population, uh, so we're we're in good shape there. 46% of students identified as an underrepresented minority student. 33% uh, were first-gen. Now, I know everyone kind of defines that a little bit differently. The way that we're defining it is parents do not have a college diploma, which is two or four year. I know some people want to say just four year, but basically, do they have a high school diploma or less uh, or started college, didn't complete? Uh, a quarter of students identify as low income. Uh, we had a lot of students still, you know, here we are early fall. FAFSA still has not opened. Uh, so we we always give them that option at this point, too, to say that they don't know what their household income is, because a lot of students until they fill out that, that FAFSA may not know. So right now. Still a large number of students who aren't really sure uh, how much money is coming into the household. So that that kind of weighs in there. All right, let's dive in. There were six big ideas that I pulled out. And to kind of give you a, a idea here, we're going to go through the six big ideas. And then we'll have time for your questions. We had several submitted in advance. Uh, some of the questions uh, are actually answered during the discussion here as well. Uh, so we'll get to, to the remaining questions there at the end. Um, first big idea here, you know, school counselors are so important. They're important advocates. They're important supporters. They are critical to student success. But I think that there's room for people in higher ed to better understand their role. So when we think about counselors, counselors are the most trusted resource for college research. research. Uh, we ask students to rank a large number of items and say, pick your top three ways to research. What, what are your preferred ways to research colleges, learn more about them? Who do you go to? What resources do you use? 
And the most important to them, 48%, said that their school counselor was a top three preferred resource. That's down a little bit from last year, but still, number one, about half of students say that it is a top three resource for them. That's where they're going. But one caveat there, while they're influential in that early stage, only 17% of students who have started applying have said that they applied to a college they were unfamiliar with because of their counselor. So that made them one of the least influential resources when it came to actual conversions and driving applications. And you might say, wait a minute, what's going on here, right? There's there's a reason, I think, for this that's very clear, but we have to better understand what that role is. And that reason is that the counselor's role is to support students, help them apply to colleges, help them access colleges, help them with all that transition. They're not there to drive applications to a specific college. Uh, so when I talked to counselors about this, I, I wanted to kind of get their input. Uh, that was what came up. It's like, no, this makes perfect sense because it's not our job to tell a student to apply to a college. You know, we're not pushing to a specific institution. That's the counselor's job at the institution. It's their job to help drive those applications, not the school counselor. So I did the next natural thing. I asked, okay, what can institutions do to better work with school counselors? independent education consultants, college counselors, if, if a high school has that role. First thing, building those relationships and providing support. How can you better help them do their job? How can you help them serve students better? Uh, how do you have that that relationship where they, if they have questions, they know who to call first. They don't have to fill out an inquiry form. They don't have to send a general email. Who is that person they know will respond and help their students right away? You can make the requirements and the deadlines for application and events very clear. Don't leave them guessing. Don't make them wonder, well, okay, this student, would they be acceptable? You know, what's sort of their likelihood? Just be black and white. Be very clear with them and say, here's what we're looking at. Here's what we want to see. Here's what we would consider if these other criteria are met. Help them better serve students. Uh, the less work you make for them, the happier they'll be. So, you know, transcripts are a big enough job, but don't make them fill out two references and track down this and that, support these other things, make their job easier. Uh, don't leave them in the dark about changes. If you have new requirements, if you have new programs, if you have anything that can help their students, let them know proactively. Don't wait for them to find out. Don't wait for an association email, things like that. Um, but the big one I always want to advocate is these influence the, influ influence the influencer campaigns. So how are you getting in touch with the people who are helping students and advocating for students and keeping them in touch and keeping you, yourself top of mind? Uh, so it can be through email newsletters. It can be social campaigns, digital marketing campaigns, print campaigns. But how are you making sure you're staying in front and providing valuable and relevant information to them rather than just sending them a, a you know, it's nice to have the penance in the office that doesn't tell them what they need to help a student figure out if it's going to be a good fit, help counsel them through, is this where you should be applying? All right, second big idea. Your timeline as an institution is not the student's timeline, right? What matters to you of here's what we need done when they've got different priorities. There's still a lot of time to impact your outcomes uh, before you start switching heavily towards this yield focus I just want to highlight the majority of students are still only beginning their application process. You know, there's no significant change from past years. 38% uh, of students said that they have started applying. 
but still a lot of students have not started applying. 32% of underserved students. So we're looking at underrepresented minority students, low income and first gen, much less likely to have started that application process. So especially if you are mission driven to serve students who need the access the most, that's where you can really make a difference is not having these early deadlines, making sure to understand their barriers, their timelines, their needs, and, and working around that. So connecting this back to our enrollment survey that we do each year, uh, this is our survey of students who are enrolling in college. Uh, this came out back in September. I want to be clear, this isn't when they start applying. This is when they start actively considering their options. 24% of students said they didn't start actively researching college until the fall semester of their senior year. And then 7% then until the spring semester of their senior year. So almost a third of students are in the thick of it right now. They're starting actively researching. Doesn't mean they're applying yet, but they're narrowing down their list. They're looking at their options. So if you can work around that and you can still keep working with students as they come in, keep doing that relevant and meaningful prospecting, finding new students who are just starting that process, they might feel overwhelmed. They might feel pressure because they might be behind their friends, but they've just had a lot going on in their life, things like that. This is where you can make a big impact. These are students who want that support. They want to help. How are we getting in front of them? So you're so what here? How are you addressing this? Are you still adding new inquiries to your system? Are you responding accordingly? The later they start, the more stressed out they're going to feel. They're more likely to be this traditionally underserved population. They're going to need that help. And are you providing that support? Are you providing a quick response that they're going to need to thrive? Right? Are you preparing them for college success? Or are you just saying, well, our deadline is October what? You know, we want to see applications by then, but most students aren't ready to start applying yet. All right, for a long time, I've talked about this rubber band effect that we were seeing. So during the pandemic, during lockdown, students were, they were just cooped up at home, right? They were anxious. They wanted to get further away from home. You know, you still have to, to think about this. These students still had a lot going on. Now, though, they're pulling back that radius of consideration again. You still need that dual approach of cultivating pipelines further away while also owning your backyard. I want to bring in a third idea. I think you need to work your neighbor's field. And while that that makes sense to someone from Indiana, it might not make sense everywhere. So we'll we'll kind of dive into that a little bit. But their interest in attending college more than two hours away from home. If we look at the class of 2022, majority of students said they consider enrolling more than two hours from home. Pulled back a little bit last year. This year, only 41% said they were considering colleges more than two hours from home. It's shrinking. They're coming back a little bit. So does that necessarily mean that they're mostly just looking at someplace they can drive to, walk to? Well, not necessarily. Uh, they're definitely not moving towards online education. It's still only 1% saying that they they wanted that. That's uh, not really them looking for that short, less than an hour away from home. That was 12%, basically the same as last year, 13%. The biggest change here is in that radius of one to two hours from home. We saw a big increase there. 21% of students this year said that that's, that's sort of where they would want to be going. You know, and I've, I've never heard this concept before. Um, maybe it's already out there, but this idea of your neighbor's field, it's that middle tier, right? It's drivable, but not down the street. 
And depending where you are, they might be driving by several other campuses just to get to yours, just to see yours. Uh, this is this is something that you know we've had the ideas in the past of working your backyard. We have that traditional split. The students in your backyard, they know the area. You don't need to talk to them about why this is a great place to live and work and all the exciting things. They already know the area well. Their support is very nearby. You know, you have to think about what is it they don't know. They're not going to know some of the cultural things. They're going to know who you are. They know people who have attended there, I'm sure. But they just need more of what's the culture, what's the experience like for me. It's that independence on a leash, right? They're close to home. They're independent. And yet they still have very easy access to everything that they've had their whole life. And then you think about these students who are further afield and you're used to recruiting them too. They likely don't know your area. So you get to talk about, here's our, here's our town. Here's our community. Here's what it's like here. The, the, I mean, you can get into things like, here's the climate, especially if you're in a very hot or very cold area, they might not be used to that. Uh, you can really emphasize your support systems on campus because they're not going to have easy access to their own. Uh, you can showcase the culture and it's that independence with rails. They really are independent. Of course, you're a college, there are rules still, but they're largely independent because they're on their own. Mom and dad can't drive over and see them. This idea of working your neighbor's field, though, uh, you're not really, it's not really talking to someone who lives down the street, but you're also, they have some passing familiarity with the area. Um, so you have to think about how do you kind of showcase these things they might not know about uh, your area. Uh, you have to think about the extended support that they may have. Maybe they have extended family, things like that, but really highlight what's available on campus as well. How do you talk about the things that are really going to help support them and help them thrive, help them be well? Um, they may already be connected to campus with family who are alumni, friends who are alumni, things like that. You need to learn that. You need to learn how do we talk to them? How do we connect with them? And, and they're independent, but their support is still nearby. Um, you know, it's that, it's that middle range, right? It's a nice, it's a nice range. I can see why students are sort of drawn to that, but that's where we're seeing the most growth. It's not yet moving into that. Well, we only want to be within an hour. Uh, it's definitely not going online. Like we thought it may back in 2020. All right. Next big idea. We're already on the fourth one. I like these where we can get in. I want to leave plenty of room for discussion. The fourth big idea, this is that your brand is important to students, but you can still earn that attention without a household name. You don't have to be a household name and get into students' minds, get into their list. 41% of students said that an institution's brand and name recognition is influential in where they apply. Now, that's not a small number at all, but it's not a deal breaker either. So how well known you are, it absolutely makes your job easier. You're more likely to attract applicants. Uh, the thing that that you see so often, well, we're a best kept secret. We're the, uh, we're the Harvard of the name this region. You're making your jobs a lot harder because you don't want to be a secret, right? No one, a best kept secret is, is still a problem because it's a secret. So yes, your brand matters. Absolutely. Your name recognition matters, but you can still get in front of students. This was an interesting one. Two-thirds of students who have started applying said they applied somewhere that they didn't know much about. So these are your absolute stealth apps. 
either they have been kind of researching you or they've heard about you and just haven't raised their hand and learned more yet. Um, or they just saw you on common app or wherever and just added you to a list because it, they could. So why are these students applying there? You know, we want to know why they're applying to a college. They don't know much about big reasons. there: getting an email from a college, something caught their eye. What was it that caught their eye and made them say, Oh, okay. Maybe this is somewhere I could, I could really see myself uh, mail from the college. Number two there, these are your prospects that you're reaching out to. They don't know you yet, but, oh, okay, that, that catches my eye. I might apply. Uh, recommendations from family, conversations with admission staff. We're getting into that word of mouth there. I want to highlight the very last one there. The least likely thing in these that would make them apply to a college they didn't know much about was a conversation with a current student. Current students are absolutely important in your comm flow, in your recruiting process, they are great validators, though. Their experiences are validating the decisions and opinions of students, but early on, they're not driving the interest, not driving the stealth applications. Current students are there to validate what they already know, what they already are thinking. They want to be able to say, oh, okay, am I making the right choice? Yeah, these students are having a good time. I can see students in my major. All right, good. I, I feel like this is a place I can make friends, fit in, whatever. I don't want this to be misinterpreted, though. Irrelevant email, while email and mail is the very top reason they applied to colleges they didn't know, irrelevant email and mail is not going to convert into apps. Right? It has to be speaking to what the student cares about, what matters most to them, what majors has to be affordable, has to have those affinities and interests that they say they're interested in, it has to really check the boxes to earn their opinion, earn their interest, uh, if they don't already know you. So when we look at these, they, they kind of fall into two buckets. There's the reputation signals and the owned influence. So the reputation signals being word of mouth, people talking about you, people who are saying, oh, have you thought about this college? Or they read a review, uh, you come up in rankings and they say, well, I haven't heard of that college, but... They're saying that they're right there with these other colleges I'm considering. Maybe I should look more into them. And then there's the owned influence, the things that can actually drive action that you own. So your mail, your email, your digital marketing, your admission staff. These are the ones who are going out there advocating the student to apply. And really, the student might not know, but these are where you can say something, connect with something that really matters to them and make them want to take that next step. You want them to want to apply, not trying to convince them to apply. All right, fifth one here. Yes, parents should be engaged. We need to engage parents in the college search, but students need to have a say in when and how they're engaged. Uh, so when you asked about parent involvement, 41% of students said their parents were very involved in their search. Mom and dad were leading things, they were setting up visits, they were applying, which is nobody likes it, but it happens. Uh, and then 44% said that they were somewhat involved in the search. They had some level of involvement. So 85% of parents are involved in the student's college search. But students still want to own the flow of information. After all, it is their college search. It's their experience. They want to be the gatekeepers. Well, you know, 55% of students said they do not want colleges sending information to their parents at this point. Now that changes throughout the process when we get to the enrollment survey, but 
at this early inquiry stage, beginning stages, they don't necessarily want you going after their parents. Uh, only 35% of students say they want parents to be copied on everything the student receives. And yet, that's the most often what parent communications look like. Just a copy of, well, we sent this to your student, we're going to copy the parent on it too. That's not what students want. They want to be the gatekeepers. They want to be able to have that uh, that flow of information. If mom and dad ask, they can answer. They can bring stuff up to them. But they don't want the parents having too much control, which makes sense. These are 17, 18-year-olds, right? So when we do that, how do you engage parents successfully? I think you have to let the student lead when, how, and what. So when do you start communicating? You know, having the student choose, do you start sending them information while they're in inquiry? Once they apply, hey, would you like your parents copied on important updates? Maybe you have a series of checkboxes where they can choose what type of information even. Let them choose at what point. It could be as simple as checking in occasionally and saying, hey, we haven't been sending any information to your parents. Do you want them to know about upcoming events? Do you want them to know about FAFSA timelines, what the financial aid process looks like, things like that? And let them choose when that happens. You have to think about how do you reach out to the parents? You know, are you going to email them? Are you going to mail them? Are you going to have a text campaign for parents? You know, let the students choose how that happens. And, and this question always comes up, so I'm going to get ahead of it. But there's always that question of, well, how are we supposed to contact parents? That That is the easiest thing to answer. So I'll throw it in here. You ask the student. So I, I'm not an advocate of having it on the initial inquiry form. It just makes the inquiry form longer. And you want that to be as small as possible. So instead, as a supplement to it, when you ask some other things that can help lead to more relevance, ask them parent names. Are they alumni? You know, any other little thing like that. But then how do we contact them? Do you want them emailed? Do you want them mailed? All that. That is a great way of doing it because then you have the student opting in right away. And when we've asked this in the past, we didn't this year because we wanted to get some other questions in there. The majority of students, even if they said, I don't want a college communicating with their parents, if we asked, would you provide that information? Majority of them said, yeah, I would. If I felt like it was something valuable, I would I would give them my parents' contact info. So that's a very easy one. Even if you don't want to do that, you can send a postcard with an opt-in code uh, to let parents opt into communications themselves. Very, very easy there. When it comes to what do you say to parents, when we ask the students directly, what they want their parents to receive. Two-thirds want them to receive financial aid information. That drops down to 42% want app timelines, 40% want information about upcoming events, 39% want them to be sent housing information. A lot, it was, it was only about 20% then wanted information about outcomes, which is interesting because parents always want to know about outcomes. But then about 80% of students say, we don't want you telling our parents about outcomes. And that one is is really interesting to me. It says probably one of two things. Either at this stage, not as important, let's focus on other information, or I don't want mom and dad to keep bugging me about outcomes. I want to talk about experience. I want to talk about what it's like for me on campus. Is this a good fit for me? Not the outcomes yet. Let's wait a little bit. 
The last one here before we get into the questions and discussion is really interesting to me. When we asked about a lot of campus and community features and their desirability, we see these trends over time. The fastest growing one, though, has been students wanting the opportunity to explore religious life on a campus. And really teasing out the why and what this means for you is a little bit tricky. So I want to I want to dive deeper on this because this is a really, really interesting one. And we had some questions come in about this exactly as well. This may, but does not necessarily mean that they want a religiously affiliated campus. This certainly helps religiously affiliated campuses. But I want to be clear, that's not how the question was asked. They want religious life experiences. They don't necessarily mean they want a religiously affiliated campus. A religiously affiliated campus certainly benefits from this trend, right? Because it's very easy to have religious life experiences and opportunities there but that's not necessarily what they're saying what it does mean is the students want the opportunity to explore faiths on campus and i want i want to really emphasize that plural there that we didn't say do you want to be involved with christian like sikh life you know uh, muslim students on campus life jewish life anything like that do you want to explore faiths on campus and that that's very different and that's where every campus can get involved there so when we look at this growing appeal, class of 2024, we had 116% growth since the class of 2022. 41% of this year's class say that they want a campus where they ha can have religious life experiences. And this mirrors what we're seeing in the, in the senior enrollment survey too. So even on the decision side, how they're choosing their campus, we're seeing this kind of growth. Uh, if we're going back pre-pandemic, it was 7% of students saying that they were looking for religious life on campus. So enormous growth. And, and for context there, 116% growth. The next highest was a 16% growth of students who wanted a campus where students were active on social issues. So enormous drop there. This is why this is such an interesting one to me. Uh, this was a question that came in, the, the explanation for this. And honestly, I'm still still looking in free response and other literature, just trying to find some definitive explanation. And I came up with four different reasons. There's nothing really definitive. Hey, this is definitely what's going on. But these are things to think about. Uh, we have that pendulum effect where the parents were less religious as a reaction to their parents who were more religious and it might be a natural swing. Um, it may be that they're meaning seeking with all this chaos in the world and conflict they could be turning towards religion as a means for stability. Uh, it could be that they're seeking out community. And we know that communities are more important to students and Gen Z and Gen Alpha. Uh, it's more important to them now. It's continuing to be more important. A faith is a strong community. So that could be part of what they're looking for. And this was one that that is an interesting idea for me. It could be less rebellion aware. So in the past, students chose not to be involved in religious life is an act of rebellion. So if your parents aren't religious or not very religious, you might not have that feeling to push away faith. And so some of this increase may be through less attrition. So it could be, you know, addition by lack of subtraction. There, there's just no definitive there. And, and ultimately, I'm going to leave that why up to sociologists. That's not, not my background. The opportunity here for enrollment and marketing is just another opportunity to talk to something that students care about. Regardless of what type of campus you are, you're probably already talking about highlighting personal, professional, 
academic, cultural growth opportunities on campus. So why not spiritual growth opportunities, right? Regardless of who you are, you don't have to be a religiously affiliated campus to be able to say, well, we have these student groups that can help you. We have chapel services. We have pastors. We have imams. We have whatever. Here is here is how you can grow and explore different faiths. It's it's a different approach than you typically see, but I think that it speaks to what students are saying as well. So to sum up here, six big ideas. Understand counselors' roles and support them. Remember that your timeline as an institution is not necessarily the student timeline. You need to work your neighbor's field. We cannot simply think about this in terms of owning our backyard, having these further afield approaches. There's students in this messy middle too. That's where that growing interest is. Your brand matters, but you can still earn attention. You can make your job easier with more branding, more name recognition, but it's not a, a deal breaker either. Uh, students should really lead how and when parents are engaged in the process. And then that desire for religious life opportunities, that is growing fast. How are you approaching it? All right, we had a few uh, submitted questions in advance. If you want to submit Q&A uh, through Zoom as well, we'll get to that uh, and we'll we'll run through these. All right, first question up here. Great question from Brian. What content and channels do, senior, do seniors prefer to use for researching schools and what are their primary decision criteria for selecting a school? Multiple questions here, so it'll take me a little bit, so bear with me. In terms of their preferred comm channels, emails, letters, personalized letters uh, are top there. That's a big one. Uh, social media is a way that they can learn. It's influential to them. Uh, swag, they love the swag. Everyone does. Why not? Uh, postcards, again, relevant postcards, just sending postcards over and over, telling them to apply or visit. Not a great use to your postcard budget. Uh, a lot of things that that can help them really discover your college, uh, get in front of them, all that. In terms of what they need to hear about, and I, I want to emphasize the wording on this as well, what students need to hear about, not what they want to hear about, what's important to them, what they need to hear about as part of their search, financial aid, number one. Not, not, even, a, not even a question there. Uh, financial aid, how to apply, and then what is considered for admission? How are decisions made? How are you going to review their ap application? Uh, that That's a big one there. Careers related to their major. That's outcomes, and yet not just the data, not just job placement rates, you know, not just salaries, things like that. What can I do with this degree? And I think for some majors, that's much, much more important than others. Uh, they want to know about student housing, application timelines, all that. The other interesting thing here, I love looking at, at the two ends of the spectrum. Current student stories are not a need. I think you can do interesting things here, though. Thinking about how do we approach information without hitting it head on? Uh, there was a great calm flow when I did the junior secret shopping. You can read all about that back on the blog. Um, that every outreach they did was a student story related to a theme like these. Uh, so when we look at financial aid, for example, it would be a student talking about the affordability, how they weren't sure it was going to be affordable. They received financial aid on and on. That is something that 
is a different way. You're coming at the information sideways. So you're connecting with the student while also informing them about something. I'd love that. Uh, but you're not just saying a student story for the sake of a student story. What do students want in campus community? So what's helping inform those decisions? Diversity, number one, they want a diverse community. And take number two there over to your HR department. They want diverse faculty and staff too. Yes, they want to see students like them, but they also want to see diverse faculty and staff, right? Are you are you putting the money where your mouth is? Uh, arts and cultural activities, those are extremely important. We keep seeing those up near the top. Uh, that's been a big driver there. Uh, that this, this is the ways that students are deciding, where should I apply? What am I going to consider? Are they checking the boxes for me? These are all very important to their decisions. Um, there was also a free response question that I went through and pulled some themes out, pulled some quotes out, where we asked, how are you determining where to apply? We just wanted their free response or 20,000 students actually answered it. So that was paragraphs and paragraphs each. But how are you going through and actually deciding where to apply? And some of the key themes there that came up over and over again, affordability. They were using these these things, kind of chop colleges off their list. Affordability. Does it have my major? Does it have the things that I'm really interested in, the things that are affinities for me? What are the outcomes? And then location. And location can mean, is it nearby? Is it in a destination I want to be in? So, you know, if you're like me in Indiana this time of year, I'll bet Hayden down south looks pretty nice. So there's things like that that fit in. Uh, I wanted to pull out one student quote uh, because everyone who has read this has kind of had that jaw drop moment. Uh, this student, they were very thorough. You know, this is just part of their response, but very thorough in terms of their, their preparation. So they started out by creating a spreadsheet with around 50 colleges that interested them uh, and that had programs, had better programs compared to my state university, which is their safety school. And then they created columns and they compared job placement rates, starting salary, rankings from niche, acceptance rates, et cetera. So they have this big spreadsheet now, and that helped bring their list down to the 20 colleges they're applying to. And 20 colleges they're applying to is, is astounding to me. Uh, you know, that is, that is, that's way too many, right? And part of that, I think, comes down to something I've talked about elsewhere. Students are casting a wide net because they don't know that where they're applying to uh, is going... <laughs> I like that comment. Yes, they may be a data science student. Uh, this is a student who is casting wide net. They don't know, am I going to be accepted to my top choice? Is it going to be affordable? And is it going to be as good in person as it is on paper? So they're casting a very wide net. I think there's just got to be a lot that changes to bring this list down because colleges only have a 5% chance of yielding that student, right? They're applying to that many schools. It's not great for anybody, not great for the student, not great for the colleges. Um, how should we be using social media to recruit seniors? Thanks, Abby. Um, I have a bold statement here. I think that you don't directly use social media to recruit students. Uh, you approach social as an engagement channel and you it's a place to listen, share stories of others. It can really be influential in earning consideration and providing validation and maintain, maintaining that interest and engagement for students, but very few students that was influencing them to apply if they aren't already interested. 
So they have to already be interested before they really start getting interested in, in approaching a college on social. How are they using social? Where are they going this fall? Um, right now, less than 20. Well, we see the big ones here. Uh, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, TikTok, Discord. And then the next biggest was students not using social at all. The less than 20% of students say that they used Facebook, Snapchat, X, LinkedIn, Be Real, Threads, ZMe, Twitch, Wiser, or Rafter. It's a very, and this is just using it. So here's what I mean by not needing to use it directly. This is whether or not they were using a social channel at all in their search. We we're asked how they were using it in their search as well. And they're much more likely to be using social for general research, just general college content and looking up student accounts so they can get a better view of what campus life is like really uh, than, than they are to go straight to, to official university accounts. So when I say that you don't really need to use it for recruiting, I think what you're really asking is where should we be using our official university accounts for student recruitment? When we ask that question of where did you go to follow a university, to view a university even, only 38% said they were using Instagram, 21% YouTube, 18% TikTok, 9% Facebook, 8% X, 6% LinkedIn, 4% Be Real and Snapchat, 3% Threads, 1% Twitch. Are any of those compelling numbers to say, we have to have this account, we have to be posting admissions content, we have to be doing all this to recruit students? I would say no. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, I mean, you need one institutional account. You don't need an admissions account anywhere, I would argue. You know, the more your students can see everything that's going on at the university, all posting to one institutional account instead of having this fractured universe of accounts, the better the experience will be, the more engaging the experience will be. So that's that may be a bold statement, uh, but I ran social media for a long time. You're mostly seeing alumni engage. There'll be some prospective student engagement, but the content of, hey, apply, hey, we have a visit day coming up. How often are those driving actions? All right, what's the impact of college cost? Is a question coming in from Kim. This year, oh, I hate this number. 89% of students say they're eliminating colleges from consideration and not applying because of the published price. I want to differentiate there between price and cost. Price being how much does, is the sticker, how much is something, um, how much is something all in. Cost is what they're ultimately paying. So that that's sort of the phrasing we use here. Uh, that midpoint where you're cutting off half of potential students is just over $40,000. So how many of you have a total sticker price over $40,000? You cannot talk about affordability and show them your discount rate if they don't apply in the first place. So that's where things like direct admissions where financial aid is offered at the time of acceptance shines. You get around this hesitation. A student would eliminate you and say, oh, nope, not even going to apply. Well, then they can't get their financial aid package, right? But instead, if you go to them up front and say, you would be admissible if you applied, here's your initial academic scholarship. They can get that up front and get around their hesitation. All right, last submitted question here. We had quite a few come in as well. Uh, so do admit students prefer using Facebook or Instagram to stay connected with other admits? Great question, Colleen. Neither. Uh, connecting with other prospective students at this point in the cycle ranks very, very low on their interests. 
Most of them are not using Facebook at all. So let's just take that off the table. Uh, the ones that they're using the most are Instagram, Reddit, Discord. All three of those you could do something with um, in terms of these student groups. Um, I would look at doing your own research and talking to students and saying, okay, were the students who uh, who enrolled more likely to have been active in those groups? And flip it too. Were the students who were active in those groups more likely to enroll? If the answer is not yes, then... I think there's better uses of time when it comes to yield. So, uh, all right. We've got quite a few questions coming in. Uh, I will pull some in here first. With the change in the FAFSA, understanding finances were already a top concern for students. Uh, do you have suggestions on how to best support these students? I think the May 1 deadline is feasible knowing packages will be out much later. Excellent question, Megan. Uh, and we'll see even if if FAFSA really goes out in December. And if colleges really get in January, it is, it is a mess. Um, no, but I also don't think May 1 was ever a feasible deadline. Uh, think about how many colleges still are accepting deposits after May 1. Uh, what percentage of your enrollments come from people who deposited pre-May 1? You know, working around the student timelines and, and understanding and being clear and having open dialogue with them is very important. You want to understand when are you feeling comfortable making the decision? What can we do to help remove some barriers for you? Right? Hey, we're working with these students. We have this, every, every counselor has a cluster of students. When do you think you might make that admissions decision? You know, we know that financial aid packages are going out later. Once you get that, let's have that conversation. Um, are there are you waiting to see if you get a better deal somewhere else? Are you waiting to see if you get other outside funds? Is it we're we're a great fit uh, and you're just holding out? it's It's going to be such a weird year. I think the colleges that can be the most supportive and the most flexible are going to be the ones who really thrive. Uh, you know, there were there were colleges who really relied on getting financial aid out really early and getting students locked in early. That's out the window now. So how else can you differentiate yourself? And I think customer service, number one, right there off the bat, use your counseling staff, use your current students, use your alumni to really highlight the service, the affordability, flexibility, um, because it's going to be a weird year. Students are going to have this pushed back deadline. Um, so it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. That's my 25 cents. Uh, Knowing that high school counselors are experienced large caseloads with many social and emotional support for students, how can admissions counselors engage with these counselors' precious time? It's difficult to get in front of them when visiting schools due to many obligations. Absolutely. Uh, that's where I would say go to your local associations, whether that's your local ACACs, whether that's other counselor groups, uh, and, and just flat out ask them, hey, we have a newsletter for counselors. Hopefully you do. Uh, but we have this newsletter. We're going to provide some resources there. What else do you need from us? Whether that's, hey, we're doing postcards with, uh, here's our upcoming key deadlines, or we had a quick change uh, in, in this event, we want to make sure you knew. It may be trying out some video series. I think there's going to be a lot of testing and optimizing there this year. Try different things, see what works, talk to counselors and get their direct feedback through email, through your associations. You know, I, I've 
not met a counselor who wasn't going to be direct, honest, and friendly. So ask them up front, let them know how you can help them. Um, if you can't get in front of them when you do a visit, you know, maybe you try out these sort of clustered events where we say, hey, we're going to this county. Um, we're going to have a before school breakfast or uh, we're going to do an event for counselors after school where you can come in, get updates, get some food, get some swag, um, try some things like that and see who you get to engage. There's going to be some that just aren't going to be reachable. Um, so try the email, try these other things, but just realize that they're busy. Don't take it personally, right? Don't think that they hate your school just because they won't meet with you. Uh, it, it can be personal, but yeah. Uh, Louise asked, does Niche have updated data on the number of applications students are now submitting? We asked that at the end of the cycle. Um, the average was around seven, I believe this year, seven or 10, uh, bulk of students applying to over 10 colleges. Uh, we don't ask mid cycle here because it, you know, it, it's going to be changing. Some students haven't started applying at all. So that number is zero, but you don't get those responses. Uh, so we leave that out. Uh, I saw the common app data recently came out, but only a quarter of colleges use common app. So you always have to think about that as well. Um, yeah. Uh, Tammy asks, has any of the data led to additional questions being asked of students or restructuring the ones already asked as students register for niche accounts? Uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we, we test new things out. We ask new questions on there. Uh, we actually just recently have been testing some new questions as part of the registration process. Uh, so yes. Yep. Uh, Jessica asks, what about Zemi as a tool for engaging students? Uh, we, we always ask that. It's usually three to five, 6% of students say they use it. Um, so yeah, it's absolutely a, a good engagement tool. Um, but just kind of realize the, the pool of student there as well. Uh, I know we had some questions come in from the chat as well. The theory on why a third of students are waiting until senior year to research colleges. Uh, a lot of students, that's, that's when the college search starts. I mean, they, that's not really a waiting. It's, well, I'm going to college next year. So that's why I'm going to start researching. You've got a lot of other things on their plate, whether that's jobs, whether that's just stress. So no, I don't, I don't think it's a waiting. Uh, I think it's a, that's when it feels like it should start. Uh, I mean, when you think about some of these tasks that we start planning for, that we start doing, how many, how many big decisions do we start looking at years in advance? Uh, you know, these students have a lot on their plate. Uh, and the more barriers these students have, the longer that search, the shorter that search cycle is for them because they have so many other things taking up their time. Uh, in terms of what information the counselors need to hear about from colleges, uh, we're going to be asking that of counselors this coming year. Uh, we didn't, this was a survey of current high school seniors. Uh, so we don't have that answer yet, uh, but we will next year. Uh, they may have used EI, EI, they may have used AI to do research for it. Uh, students are tech savvy and have more access at their fingertips. Uh, yeah, I mean, students are starting to use AI. Uh, if you've done some of that for college search, you get some interesting responses. Uh, it's going to keep getting better, though. 
Uh, I wonder though, with so few students saying that they want to engage with chatbots, if we're going to see similar trends for AI, uh, that'll be something that we're asking in upcoming surveys. Um, I just didn't, I didn't think there was going to be the, um, uh, the volume of students using it yet to really get meaningful data. Uh, so that'll be upcoming, but yeah, when we ask about chatbots, which are artificial intelligence, uh, majority of students are not interested in using them. Uh, has any of this data led to additional questions being, oh, that's the same one we have questions. Okay. Uh, are students understanding the difference between cost of attendance uh, and price? Uh, a lot of them do. They are very, very savvy. They know that scholarships are given out. They know there's that discount. They know there's a difference. But if I look at a college that is 50000 right, and, and this is the first big financial decision I'm looking at, boy, am I, am I going to trust that I'm going to get a big enough scholarship for me to go ahead and apply and get my hopes up and all that? I don't know. That's, that's a big one. And on the other hand, it's very much this world of everything else they buy, the price you see is what you pay, right? I've used the example before that if I go to a burger place and I see that it's a $2 burger, I'm going to expect to pay $2. I'm not going to expect to get to the counter and pay $1.50. And I think there's some of that going on with students too, that they see this price of 40,000, 50,000, 30,000, whatever it is, they see that price. And their first thought is, oh boy, I cannot afford that. So they're going to go look at something less expensive. And then if they get additional uh, financial aid, great, but they're, yeah, they're not, they're worried by that. It's a big number. I still think that's a big number. Um, but I also know that a lot of financial aid gets tapped on top of that. There's need-based aid, all that. So yeah, there, there's a lot there. Uh, Emma asks, any additional nuance in chatbot use for instance, perspective versus admitted? We don't ask their, their stage there. Um, we just asked if it's something that uh, they do use. Now on the, on the decision side, so on the enrollment survey, uh, we do get a little more nuance, not into what stage they use it at, because that would require them to remember, you know, which site did I use it at? Was I admitted there then? Was I not? Um, but we asked, would you, do you want to use it? Would you use it if you couldn't find the answer elsewhere? Or would you not have interest in using it at all? And overwhelming, it's they're not interested at all. Those who would use it would only use it if they had to, if they couldn't find the answer elsewhere. There were very few students who were excited about using a chatbot. Uh, they would rather either Find the information easily on your website. So good site search, clear naming, good structure, all that. That's a whole other conversation, but that is so, so critical. Uh, but then otherwise they would rather talk to a person than they would use the chatbot, which was really interesting. I think there's, there's, uh, you know, you think, well, well, if we have the chatbot, they can access it anytime. That's not necessarily, and it could be in part, the way it's implemented, but it's just not the way the students are preferring. Yeah, that may change, but just where we are right now. All right. Well, those were some, some long answers to questions. Any other last minute? This is the last call. If you haven't read the full results yet, that's the QR code and the shortened link for it. Uh, my contact info is there. Always happy to chat, answering other questions. Thank you all for joining. Great interaction. I love this discussion. I love that you're able to chat with each other. It's This will likely be the last webinar of 2023. Uh, so I hope everyone has 
great holidays, great new year, and see everyone in 2024.